0: Welcome to the serialized audiobook Infected, Book One of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times best-selling novelist Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Infected is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit ScottSigler.com slash infected. Chapter 73. Burn, burn, yes you're gonna burn. The one on his back was going to be the toughest. Perry had explored Fatty Patty's cabinets and found a cigarette lighter, two bottles of wine, three bottles of Bacardi 151, and a half a fifth of Jack Daniel's. He'd already knocked back a whole bottle of wine. A buzz rolled thickly through his head. It wasn't a wild turkey buzz, but he'd chugged the entire bottle, so the real kick was probably still brewing in his gut. Three left his back, his left forearm, and his balls. For what he was about to try, he wanted to be very, very drunk. There was no clever way to remove the triangles, and the risk seemed greater than ever. The triangle on his forearm might be close to the artery. The one on his back was right over his backbone. Its barbed tail could be wrapped around his vertebra. Pulling that one out might injure or even sever his spinal cord the one on his nuts, the one he'd managed not to think about for days. Well, he'd just have to get a lot drunker first. He wasn't certain he could pull any of them out, but he could kill them where they grew. They'd rot, sure, but if his plan worked, he would dial 911 and head straight for an emergency room. Let the doctors figure it out. The soldiers wanted to whack him and stop the triangles from hatching. Maybe if there were no more triangles, the soldiers wouldn't kill him. Maybe, maybe, maybe. They might kill him anyway, but they might keep him alive so they could interrogate him. Even if they took him prisoner so they could probe his mind with their secret machines and their TVs that could read thoughts, he'd still be alive. And most important of all, he would have killed those motherfucking triangles. Then, even if the soldiers brought him down, no one could ever doubt that he died like a dossie. He wasn't going out as a human incubator. He would not let them win. A painful fever seemed to grip his muscles. His joints ached with the dull kick of a bass drum. The rot. The rot from his shoulder. His ass, spreading to other parts. He could fight the triangles, maybe. But how could he fight the black bile rot flowing through his blood? The gig was up. Time to shit or get off the pot. The sleeping hatchlings filled the apartment with pops and clicks. A Garth Brooks song filtered faintly through the floor from the apartment below. In his own mind, all was quiet, not a peep from his own triangles. Perry stuffed the lighter into his front pocket, grabbed the liquor bottles and his butcher's block that held his knives and his chicken scissors. He hopped clumsily for the bathroom. Burn, burn, yes you're gonna burn. Chapter 74 The Fed Dew knelt, staring at the spot in the snow. He thought he'd imagined it at first, the frenzied creation of a tired mind and tired eyes. As he stooped down to look closer, he knew it was real. A tiny, dark-pink streak on the pavement's thin snow. It was small, only about a half-inch long and less than an eighth of an inch wide. Wisps of fine powder almost covered the mark. Dossie had fallen, right here. Dew looked back to Dossie's car. If you drew a straight line from the rusty Ford through the blood spot, that line pointed directly to the door of Building G. Dew stood and moved towards the door, pulse racing, adrenaline pumping. He kept his eyes fixed on the ground, looking for another blood spot just to be sure. His sleepiness vanished, possibly from the thrill of the hunt, or more likely from a well-honed instinct for self-preservation. It was party time. The first real action since Martin Brubaker, the infected psycho who'd killed his partner. Brubaker hadn't been a big man, nor had he been an athlete, but he'd proven something Dew had known since he'd been eighteen. Being a killer isn't about being strong or fast or well-trained. It's about being the first to pull the trigger. It's about attacking before the other guy is ready. It's about the willingness to go for the throat right off the bat. The growths had made Martin Brubaker that kind of man. Dossie had those same growths. But Dossie was a big man. He was an athlete. And he was violent and vicious even before he was infected. Dew felt a flash of deja vu. The sense that he was entering Martin Brubaker's house. Walking down the hall just before the crazy fuck lit the place on fire and buried a hatchet in Malcolm's guts. The old Sinatra tune rang in his head. I've got you. Under my skin. Chapter 75 Bacardi 151. Perry shut the bathroom door behind him and spread his goodies out on the sink counter. Bottle of Jack Daniels. Check. Two bottles of Bacardi 151. Check. Butchers block with knives and chicken scissors. Check. Lighter. Check. Towels. Check. Fatigue clutched at his body. He started the tub and flipped the lever on the stopper, allowing the basin to fill up with cold water. He stripped down, taking off everything but his socks and his underwear. He grabbed the longest towel he could find, twisted it into a rope, then poured some Bacardi on it. It soaked into the terry cloth, filling the small bathroom with a strong smell of rum. He flipped the long towel over his back, feeling the cold, wet, rum-soaked spots and chills up his spine. He positioned that cold spot right over the triangle. One end of the towel went over his left shoulder, the other under his right arm. He tied the ends together, making the towel hang like a bandito's bullet strap. See, sí, senor!' Else Gary Perry is a bad man. He soaked the end of a smaller hand towel with Bacardi, then laid it on the toilet. With the preparation finished, he took four long, uninterrupted swallows of Jack Daniels. Perry sat on the tub, the cold porcelain sending another wave of chills through his body. He held the knife in the lighter with his left hand. In his right hand, he held the rum-soaked towel. It was time. Burn, burn, yes, you're gonna burn. Perry flicked the lighter. He watched the tiny orange flame shift and turn. Yes, you're gonna burn. Chapter 76 Closing In Dew stood just inside the front door to Building G. He shivered slightly, but not from the winter's cold. Like every other building in the sprawling complex, Building G had twelve apartments, four each on three floors. Perry Dossie, the one-legged killer, was in one of those apartments. Dew pulled his notebook from a jacket pocket. He quietly flipped through the pages, eyes looking down at the book one second, flicking back to look up the stairs and down the hall the next. He half expected to see the hulking nutcase tearing down the hall or the stairs, hopping madly, ready to do an encore presentation of the Bill Miller crucifixion. Dew reviewed the notes he'd collected from the cops. Building G had been checked by a pair of state troopers. There had been no answer at apartments 104 and 202. Dew put the pad back in his coat pocket, hand brushing against the 45, just to make sure it was there. If his hunch was right, He had a chance to kill Dossie and do it with no press, no interference from the local cops. Going in alone was dangerous, probably stupid. But Dossie probably had a hostage right now. If the rapid response teams closed too quickly and Dossie saw them, he might drag that hostage out into the open where cops could intervene. That would complicate things. Dew pulled out the big cellular and dialed. It rang only once. They were waiting for his call. Auto here. Get the squads in position. I'm in building G. Do not, I repeat, do not approach until I say so. I'll stay on the line. If the connection is cut off, move in immediately. Understand? Yes, sir. Margaret Namus are with me. They're ready. Dew pulled his forty five. Adrenaline surged through his veins. His pulse raced so fast, he wondered if a heart attack would take him down before Dossie could. Chapter 77, Conjectures Rackle suits were not built with comfort in mind. Margaret Montoya sat in the back of Gray Van No. 2, along with Amos and Clarence Otto. Both men also wore the bulky suits. All they had to do was put on the helmets, pressurize, and they were ready to do battle with whatever bacterium, virus, or airborne poison Perry Dossi might spew forth. Only Margaret knew it wasn't a bacterium, and it wasn't a virus. It was something different altogether. Something new. She still couldn't put her finger on it, and it was damn near driving her mad. So these couldn't be natural, Margaret said. We'd have seen it somewhere. Amos sighed and rubbed his eyes. Margaret, we've had this conversation already, several times. He sounded exasperated, and she couldn't blame him. Scientific curiosity or no, her mouth had run nonstop for hours. There was an answer here. if She could only get a handle on it somehow talk it out. We don't know it hasn't been seen before, and just because it hasn't been recorded that doesn't mean it's not known somewhere in the world. Maybe that holds true with a regular disease, something that makes people sick. One sickness is much like the next, but this is different. These triangles are under people's skin. There would have been something, a myth, a legend, something. You obviously don't think it's natural, Otto said. So you agree with Murray that it's a weapon? I don't know about a weapon, but it's not natural. Someone made this and leap decades ahead of any known level of biotech," Amos said patiently. This isn't cobbling together a virus. This is creating a brand new species, genetic engineering at a level that people haven't even theorized yet. The meshing of new organic systems to human systems is perfect, seamless. That would take years of experimentation. But what if it's not designed to build those systems, the nerves and the veins? Of course it's designed to do it. It built them, right? Margaret felt a spike of excitement, a brief flicker of insight. There was something here, something she couldn't put her finger on. Yes, it built the nerves in the vein siphons, but we don't know if it was designed to build those specifically. Otto shook his head. I just don't follow. Blueprints, Margaret said. What if the initial seed or spore or whatever is designed to read blueprints, like the instructions built into our DNA? Amos stared at her with a mixture of two expressions— One said, I hadn't thought of that. The other said, you're taking the fuck-nut bus to Looneyville. Go on. What if this thing reads an organism, figures out how to tap into it, grow with it? Well, then it does not need people, Otto said. Why wouldn't we have seen this in animals? We don't know that it hasn't infected animals, Margaret said. But maybe there's something else going on here, more than pure biology. Maybe it needs intelligence. Amos shook his head. Needs intelligence for what? This is all conjecture. And besides the fact that you are obviously one crazy bitch, who would make an organism like that? The pieces started to fall into place for Margaret. It's not an organism. I think it's a kind of machine. Amos closed his eyes, shook his head, and rubbed the bridge of his nose at the same time. When they commit you, Margaret, can I have your office? I'm serious, Amos. Think about it. What if you had to travel great distances, so great that no living organism could survive the trip? So you're talking even longer than a plane trip to Hawaii with my mother-in-law. Yes, much longer. Otto leaned forward. Are you talking space travel? Margaret shrugged. Maybe. Maybe you can't send a living creature across space for as long as it takes to get from point A to point B, but you can't send a machine. An unliving machine that consumes no resources and has no biological processes that could wear out over time. It's just dead. Right up until it turns on. Or hatches or whatever. The perfect infantry, Otto said. An army that doesn't need to be fed or trained. You just mass-produce them, ship them out, and when they land, they build themselves and gather intel from their local host. Amos and Margaret stared at Otto. Okay, for the sake of a crazy science bitch and a gung-ho junior spy that's watched too many movies, let's say you've got this weapon. What good does it do you? You send these things across the universe, stopping on Vulcan for a couple of brews, of course. But why? Two reasons. The first is recon. Gather intel on the environment, the people, the opposition. Maybe that's why it's not in animals, because... His voice trailed off. He couldn't finish the thought. Because if it can read DNA, maybe it can read memories, Margaret finished. It needs the cultural context to know the threats, to know what can stop it. Agent Clarenzato beamed at her. He nodded slowly. That smile of his was almost enough to take her away from this insanity, and she found herself smiling back. Why don't you two just fuck and get it over with already? Amos said. If we can lose the flirting for a moment, I'm still not convinced. Your ideas don't really make sense. In Margaret's fantasy land, these things are here because Alf can't make the trip himself. So why are there little machines gathering intel? Intel is the first reason, Otto said. The second is that you use that intel to create a beachhead. Establish control of a defensible area so you can safely receive reinforcements. The van fell quiet for a few moments. A sense of dread filled the air. Finally, Amos spoke, fear ringing clear through his sarcastic tone. Otto, if you don't mind, I like you better when I think you're a dumbass CIA agent. How about you leave the science to us and have a nice cup of shut the fuck up? Otto nodded, then sat back. They quietly waited. Chapter 78 A Nice Hot Bath Perry raised the tiny flame to the rum-soaked hand towel. It caught instantly, bursting into flame with a loud woof, singeing his hand. He whipped the flaming towel behind him like a horse flicking its tail to ward off a swarm of flies. The flame slapped against the bandolier towel's wet spot. It, too, ignited instantly, scorching the thin flesh above the triangle. The flames caught Perry's hair which disintegrated in a scalp-searing whoosh. The smell of rum, burned flesh, and singed hair filled the bathroom. Scalding pain raged against his back as flames scampered up the towel. He started to stand, his instinct screaming to move, to run, to stop, drop, and roll. His skin bubbled and blistered. He let out a small scream, but forced himself to sit back down on the tub. He switched the knife from his left hand to his right. Letting loose a roar mixed of equal parts, pain, fury, and defiance, Perry stabbed the blade into his left forearm, right through one of the triangle's closed eyes. He knew it went all the way through, because he felt the blade tip dig into his own flesh on the other side. Blood and purple gushed onto his hand, making him almost lose grip on the knife. With a primitive growl and a sick smile of insane satisfaction, he punched the knife tip in again and again like a pointed pick into a bowl of ice. His back continued to burn. Face contorted with pain. He fell backwards into the tub. There was a quick hiss as he landed in the cold water. The fire ceased, but the burning sensation continued. A wave of joy washed over him even as he writhed in agony. How do you like that? How the fuck do you howdy doody you do you like that? His ravaged arm filled the tub with diluted blood, making the water look like cherry Kool-Aid. Not done yet, kids, Perry thought. No bout to doubt it. Got one more round to go. With his right hand, he squeezed down on his left forearm. He thrashed in the shallow red water, his face twisting into a gnarled mask of agony. CHAPTER 79 APARTMENT 104 Dew ignored his aching knees and crouched in front of the door to Apartment G-104. His thick fingers worked lock-picking tools with the delicate grace of a ballerina pirouetting across the stage. The lock clicked with a tiny sound, and Dew silently turned the deadbolt back. He stood, pulled his forty-five, and took a deep breath. He opened the door. One thought rolled through his brain. They're gonna pay, Malcolm. He opened the door and slid into an empty living room, devoid of any furniture. He did a fast check to make sure there was nothing in any of the rooms. They were empty as well. He ran out the door into the hall, headed for the next apartment. Chapter 80 The Chicken Scissors. Perry lurched out of the tub, bloody water sloshing all over the floor. He grabbed a clean towel, looped it into a granny knot, then bit back the screams as he pulled it tight against his mangled forearm. He was in serious pain, but he could handle it. Why? Because he had discipline. That's why. His arm bled like a proverbial stuck pig. The towel quickly soaked through with bright red. He didn't know if he'd hit an artery, and he didn't care, because he'd punched through all three of the triangle's eyes. A thin, greasy black tentacle hung from the cut, blood coursing down it to piddle on the floor. It didn't matter. He'd be in an ambulance inside of five minutes. He grabbed the towel's ends, took a deep breath, and pulled the terry cloth tourniquet even tighter. A fresh wave of pain erupted from his arm, but he bit back the scream. The triangles awoke. No... Not triangles. Triangle. The one on his back was dead. Burned to a crispity crisp. The one on his arm was sliced in half. Only one remained. Which meant there was really only one thing left to do. No bow to doubt it. Stop, 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 fuck it, burn. it. The voice in his head sounded weak, thin, frail. He couldn't understand many of the words. Oh, sh- Shouldn't have fucked with a Dossie, big dog. You understand that now, don't you? He shuffled slowly forward, resting against the sink counter. Bastardy fucker, stop, stop, hell, help. There's no help for you. Now you know what it's like. The butcher's block sat on the sink counter. It called to him. The bathroom door rattled violently. Tentacles slid under the door and squirmed like lunatic black snakes. In jagged disbelief that cut through his hazy vision, Perry watched the doorknob turn. He launched himself against the door just as it began to open, his right shoulder slamming it closed. He locked the door and took a step back, eyes wide with shock, as the black, ropey tentacles continued to worm their way under the door. He heard the clicks and pops of the hatchlings, but he heard more. He heard their womanly voice in his head, not as strong as the confused pleas of his own triangle, but strong enough and desperate, angry. The voices were separate now. They all sounded the same, but were individual instead of the group they had been while still inside Fatty Patty's body. So many words crushed together. It was like trying to focus in on one snowflake during a blizzard, but he picked out bits and pieces. Stop! Don't do Don't it! do and kill! Hell. Sinner! We're gonna get right out. The tentacles pushed and pulled at the door, rattling it, trying to force it open, but they didn't have enough strength. Perry watched in horror as they slithered in, pulled at the door, slid back under. Too many to count, moving too fast to track. He turned back to the sink. He ignored their pleading voices. They couldn't get in, and he had unfinished business. He looked at the butcher's block. Looked at the chicken scissors. He shook his head. He couldn't do it. The doctors could cut it out. The doctors could fix it. The sink was at waist level. He reached into his wet underwear, to lift his scrotum and rest it on the counter. But when he touched it, his hand instinctively flinched as if he'd just unknowingly grabbed a rattlesnake. It hadn't felt right. It hadn't been soft and pliant. It had been hard, crusty, swollen, with solid bumps that didn't belong. Stop! 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 No, you can't do it! No! No! Stop! No! The triangle's voice wavered badly. Perry didn't know if that was the Tylenol coursing through its body. The fact that it was the only triangle left, or a little bit of both. And it didn't matter. He reached into his underwear again, ready for the horrid, stomach-churning feeling this time, and lifted his scrotum up to rest on the edge of the sink. It was the most horrible thing he had ever seen. Tears instantly poured down his cheeks. Not the tears of pain that had sneaked out of his eyes once or twice during his self-mutilation sessions, but tears of frustration. Tears of a man who's lost everything. There wasn't a doctor in the world who could help him now. He hadn't looked at this triangle since the day he'd pulled that tiny white thing from his thigh. He hadn't examined his ball since then, not even once. Had he looked, had he seen, he might not have fought at all. The triangle was huge. It was almost black under the skin of his scrotum. The center of the pyramid head pointed up as if his balls rested under a fleshy pup tent. Most of his pubic hair had fallen off leaving his skin bald and unprotected. His left testicle was hidden somewhere under the triangle. His right testicle was barely visible, the end of it pulsing against the inside of his scrotum, stretching the skin. His dick jutted out at an odd angle. The triangle had grown right underneath its base. There was little room left for the tissue that connected the penis to his body. It looked as if it were on the verge of falling off, severed at the bottom by the edges of the ever-growing triangle but that wasn't the worst of it. The tentacles had grown under his skin, just as they had in Fatty Patty, right out the sides of the triangle. One tentacle reached up and over his right testicle. Another spread from his scrotum down into his inner thigh, a cord-like infection pulsing huge and misshapen. The last tentacle? The last one was the worst of them all. The last tentacle reached right up the side of his penis, distending the skin a thick, black vein that wrapped around and around, that reached almost to the end, as if it were pointing at the head of Perry's dick. Pointing and mocking. His naked body shivered with fear and dread. Dread because he knew he couldn't do it. He couldn't cut off his own dick and balls. The little fuckers had won, they had won, they had won, and fucked them all, fuck you all the hell! Perry leaned forward, his unit still in the sink, and yanked out one of the steak knives from the butcher's block. He laid his arm down in the sink, palm up, and placed the point of the knife at his wrist just below the hand. He'd heard somewhere that you have to slice down the length of your wrist, not crosswise, to do it right. His father's voice, What are you doing, boy? Perry's tears fell into the sink. Sobs racked his body. He looked up into the mirror, and once again, instead of his own ravaged reflection, he saw the tight-skinned face of his skeletal father. Jacob Dossie's eyes glowed blood red, his lips so taut they didn't move when he spoke. He was nothing more than skin and bones, his muscles long since consumed by Captain Cancer. (laughs) I'm sorry, Daddy. I can't do it. I'm gonna end it right here. You can still win, son. You can still beat them all. Daddy, I can't. I just can't. You gotta do it, boy. His daddy's voice took on the harshest of tones. You've come this far. You can't stop now. A man's gotta do what a man's gotta do, Perry hung his head. He couldn't do it, and he couldn't look at his father's face. He pressed the blade against his wrist. A drop of blood formed around the knife point. Two quick slashes, and he'd be done. I'm sorry, Daddy, but it's gotta end here. He took one last look at his misshapen, monstrous genitals, blinked back the tears, and gathered his strength, he wasn't sure he saw it at first. It happened a second time, and he knew he hadn't imagined it. His genitals jiggled. Hatching time to the hatch. Time for my hatching. No. No, sir. No how. No way. If he killed himself right now, the triangle would still hatch out of his body and join the others. Do whatever hatchlings do. Dance around the dead bodies of the silly humans. Play gin rummy. Watch the Brady Bunch or whatever else they did, and he didn't know and he just didn't give a fuck. Perry screamed at his genitals. Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! It's not gonna happen, do you understand? The triangle in his scrotum jiggled and twitched. He watched in horror and absolute rage as it started to bounce outward, pushing both to break free of the skin and to break the tail, the umbilical cord that had kept it alive all this time. Perry grabbed the chicken scissors. He cut his underwear twice, one snip on either hip, and the wet cloth fell to the floor. He pulled his body away from the sink, just a little, so that there was a space between his hips and the counter, just enough of a space for the chicken scissors to slide. One impossibly thick blade resting atop his scrotum, one impossibly thick blade below. Hi, Here we come! Here we come! If Perry Dossie had any scraps of sanity left, they slipped away, snapping like a bungee cord pulled past its limit, both ends recoiling back from the brake at wind whistling speeds. At least the voices will stop. Chapter 81 Apartment two o two. No one had answered at apartment two o two, and Dew was halfway through picking the lock when he heard the horrible scream. It was a man's scream, and one that sent a wave of fear dancing at the base of Dew's spine. There was something in that scream, something beyond pain or fear. Dew jumped up, his knees popping loudly in the still hallway. The back staircase was closest. He sprinted up the steps pulling out the cellular as he ran. Otto, get them in here! Chapter 82 You're Gonna Burn Perry stumbled out of the bathroom, bleeding, coughing, crying, dripping snot and spit and blood everywhere. He was so far gone, he didn't see the hatchlings scatter about the room, hopping out of his way as fast as their uncoordinated little bodies would carry them. They filled his head with nonsense words and abstract phrases. Juggling an armful of stuff, Perry whipped the first bottle against the wall just inside the door. It shattered, spreading Bacardi 151 all over the wall and floor. He saw one of the hatchlings dash towards him. He grabbed the bloody chicken scissors. The hatchling leapt for his leg, wrapped its tentacles around his calf. He felt a stabbing, cutting pain, but it was distant, like the sound of a shout from a mile away. He arced down with the chicken scissors and punctured the hatchling's body. A five-part scream ripped through his head, a woman's scream that poured from each of the hatchlings. Why, why can I still hear them? I got them all! Why can I still hear them, goddammit! He lifted the scissors taking a moment to stare at the jittering, wriggling hatchling impaled on the bloody blades. He flicked his wrist, flinging the hatchling across the room. It fell on the floor, broken, twitching, staining the carpet with purple goo. Perry looked up and growled a primitive challenge, but the rest of the hatchling stayed away. He moved over to the door, stepping over Fatty Patty's body. He noticed that her lower legs and hands were gone, gnawed to bloody stumps. The hatchlings popped up and down in a sickening dance, chirping, clicking, filling his head with disjointed threats. You him, you'll, you'll get, get yours very soon. soon. Perry ignored them and hopped to the entryway. He juggled his armload of goodies as he unlocked the three locks, then opened the door. He smashed his last bottle on the doorframe. Rum soaked the carpet. You're a bad oh, you man, I'm gonna get you. He looked back at the hatchlings, who stared at him with utter spite, black eyes gleaming with absolute hatred. Perry said nothing, his mind incapable of articulating words. A thin string of drool hung from his lip, swinging in time with his uncoordinated movements. He dropped the chicken scissors to the floor. In his arms, he held two more things. One of the things was the lighter. He flicked his bick. Perry Dossie stared at the room with eyes much older than his twenty-six years. He bent and touched the flame to the rum-soaked floor. Flames shot up instantly, a warm blue at first, but quickly turning yellowish-orange as the carpet caught fire. He dropped the lighter. Now he held only one thing. The flames grew, crawling up the doorframe, reaching for the ceiling. Perry looked back at the hatchlings one last time. They ran around the apartment like some satanic version of the Keystone Cops, bouncing off walls, furniture, and one another in a blind terror. The fire quickly spread back from the doorframe and into the apartment proper, and there was no place for them to avoid the flames. Yes, you gotta burn. He turned to leave, but the map caught his eye. Fire tickled the paper's bottom corner. Perry reached out and tore the map from the door. He left the apartment, went to his right, and started hopping as the flames spread out into the hallway behind him. Chapter 83, Apartment 304 Dew came up the stairs just as the flames lashed out into the hallway, five feet high and growing fast. The place was going up like a dry Christmas tree. He stopped, looking for a target. On the other side of the hungry flames, he saw a huge naked man clutching something in each hand. Through the distorted, waving heat haze, Dew saw that the man stood on one leg. The other hung limply, the foot a few inches off the floor. The man turned and hopped away, his bulk already obscured by the raging flames. Dew started firing, emptying the seven-round magazine in less than three seconds. The lethal forty-five caliber bullets disappeared into the fire. Dew didn't know if he'd hit Dossie or not. And there was only one way to find out. He popped a fresh mag into the Colt forty-five, hesitated for only a moment, then sprinted towards the raging fire. Chapter 84 Hippity-Hoppity With a coordination born from complete lack of regard for safety, Perry leaped to the next landing, clearing six steps in one hop. When he landed, blood splattered from his crotch. Momentum slammed him into the wall, but he didn't fall. Instead, he turned and cleared the next six steps with one powerful thrust. When he hit the second floor landing, the towel fell off his arm, leaving him completely naked save for his socks. Anyone watching would have thought it was impossible that he was sure to break his neck. But he kept hopping, not knowing that Dew Phillips was only a few steps behind. The outside door burst open, swinging wildly on its hinges, slamming so hard the handle gouged a chunk from the brick wall. Perry, wide-eyed and screaming, hopped out into the snow, the cold hitting his naked body like the fist of old man winter. He hopped fast, remembering somewhere, somehow, that he was supposed to get a car— Go to Wajamiga and finish this crazy odyssey. He also wanted to get to a hospital because some stupid motherfucker had just shot him in the left shoulder. That had almost knocked him over, but he'd been hit harder many times. Oh, but he needed a hospital for a few other things too, eh, Daddy-o? A hospital to stitch up an arm that gushed bright, steaming blood onto the road's packed snow. A hospital to piece together whatever was sliced in his calf so he could walk again with two legs. A hospital to treat the huge burn blisters on his back and head and ass. A hospital to pull that bullet out of the back of his left shoulder. A hospital to suck the rotting black goo out of his shoulder and ass. And above all, a hospital to sew his dick back on. Chapter 85, One Shot, One Kill The front door to Building G hadn't quite closed when Dew Phillips smashed it open again. He raced out onto the snowy pavement, trailing smoke and flames behind him. He rolled once, twice, a third time, then stood, the flames defeated, his jacket a smoldering ruin of acrid polyester. He was in that place again, that murderous place, the spot in his mind where he sent his feelings and emotions and morals when there was killing to be done. He wasn't Dew Phillips anymore. He was Top, the death machine that had taken more lives than he could count. Dew dropped into a shooter's crouch and brought up the forty five with the stone-still grip of a brain surgeon. He saw everything. The snow-covered dead branches of the winter trees, each ice needle on the frosted pines and shrubs, every car, every hubcap, every license plate, every slushy footprint. Police dotted the lot like dark blue alligators sunning on a riverbank. A trio of gray vans raced in, one from his right, one from his left, and one on the far side of the hopping, blood-streaming freak. Dossie hopped across the parking lot, a sprint for freedom when there was no place to run. He seemed to notice the police cars, and he slowed. Dossie stopped, then turned. With the desperate optimism of a madman, he hopped towards Dew. Dew sighted in on a face contorted with fury, pain, confusion, and hate. The massive man raged forward, huge and horrible, every muscle fiber twitching and visible even from a distance. He hopped on his blood-glazed right leg, covering amazing distances with each thrust. His left leg hung at an angle, limp and along for the ride. Third-degree burns covered his right arm. He had no hair left, only crusty black marks and blisters that perched lecherously on his skull. A long streak of black goo decorated his chest, goo that appeared to ooze from a softball-sized purple sore on his right collarbone. Blood streaked down both legs, pouring from where a penis should have been. Nightmarish above all were the face and the eyes, eyes that stared straight out with the cold, intense look of the predator and the wild, panic-stricken flight of prey. A mouth that couldn't decide between a snarl or a scream. A mouth that hung open. Lips curled up to show teeth that gleamed Colgate white in the afternoon sun. Dew saw all of this in less than two seconds. A brief instant where details stood out like raised letters on a brass nameplate. That look. That expression. Just like Brubaker. Just like the man who'd killed Mal. One forty-five caliber slug and Dossie's head would evaporate in a cloud of blood and brains. Somebody had to pay for Mal's death, and this crazy fucker would fit the bill just fine. Dew aimed for that psychotic smile. His finger tightened on the trigger. Dossie kept coming. One shot. One shot. God damn it, Mal, I miss you. But Dew had his orders. He dropped his aim and pulled the trigger. The bullet smacked into Dossie's right shoulder and spun him around like a rag doll. He almost made a full spin before he crashed to the ground, his streaming blood melting into the dirty driveway snow. The map fluttered to the ground. Dew lowered his weapon and started to move forward, then stopped short. He stared, disbelieving, as Dossie scrambled back up to stand on his one good leg. His expression hadn't changed, not one lick, no surprise or agony visible among the tumult of emotions that rippled across his face. Huge muscles twitching, A grin of wide-eyed madness chiseled onto his face. Hopping on one powerful leg, Dossie lunged towards Dew. Dew raised the forty-five. There was one place he could shoot that the kid wouldn't get up. You sure are one tough bastard, Dew said quietly, then pulled the trigger. The round smashed into Perry's knee, the same knee that had ended his football career. The once-broken patella disintegrated into a bouquet of splintered bone. The bullet ripped through cartilage before it bounced off the femur and exited through the back of his leg, along with a misty cloud of blood. Perry crumbled. He fell face-first onto the snow-covered pavement and slid to a halt only a few feet from Dew. This time, he didn't get up. He stared at Dew, breathing heavily. The insane death grin plastered on his face. And his penis was still clutched in his fist. Dew gently stamped out the flaming map, then picked it up. Keeping the barrel trained on Dossie's grinning face, Dew looked at the map. It was burned through in places, but the red line running from Ann Arbor to Wajimaega was still clearly visible. Also in red, a strange, Japanese-looking symbol. Dew looked at Dossie. The same symbol, scabbed over and bleeding in places, was carved into his arm. Dew held the map so Perry could see it. What's here? Dew demanded. What the fuck do you want with this pissant town? What's this symbol mean? Somebody's knocking at the door, Perry said. Somebody's ringing the bell. You have been listening to Infected, book one of the Infected Trilogy by Scott Sigler.